Hi, and welcome to Spoken Thoughts, the podcast. I'm Mick. I'm Maddie. I'm Irina. And this is the very first episode of Stolen Thoughts, titled Language, Culture, and Learning. This week, we watched the film titled Stolen Education, which was about Spanish-speaking students in America and how they were treated in the educational system based on race and language. And we listened to the podcast titled Code Switch Podcast, Eola Ka Oleo Hawaii, and that was about the Hawaiian language in and how it was used in Hawaii and how it was lost. One thing that I found super interesting during this stolen education uh, video was Lupe's story and how she was forced to remain in first grade for three years just because she was Mexican-American. And I was very shocked at the first grade level, the beginning, low, and high first grade, how they had three different levels just for first grade. And to add on to that, um, it really surprised me how, like, even though they had, like, three levels, they never got tested for, like, academic ability. Mm -hmm. Instead, they just automatically placed students into this tracking system solely based on their, like, student racial identity. Another issue with this was that instead of letting the students who spoke different languages be in classes with everyone else, they were supposed to be unsegregated. However, they kept them in certain grades, like first or third grade, for multiple years at a time, and no one really saw an issue with this. And because of this, this kind of discourages those kids and creates a system where they're told they aren't good enough and they're not equal. So it's just very problematic in itself. And also, I've noticed that like um, one person that was introduced, I believe his name was Lee, um, he didn't really... Um, he was white. He didn't really think of anything when his Mexican friends played with him, like played together with him, but didn't go to class with them, which I thought was like super interesting. Something that I think is worth noting here, um, specifically about how the education was kind of stolen from these students, um, specifically based on their language and um, their race and what they looked like um, compared to the other students, is that For me specifically, in elementary school, middle school, high school, we learned a lot about segregation, specifically when it comes to African-American students. And we learned a lot about how African-American people were treated in America and how that was a definitely like problematic time um, in our past. However, I went to a school that had students that predominantly were native Spanish speakers. And I think that that's worth mentioning because we never once talked about or learned about what was happening during the same time frame to students who spoke Spanish and who were native Spanish speakers and bilingual students. And I think that's an issue because the biggest thing about getting the word out there and education is that if we don't learn about it and we don't talk about it, nothing's ever going to change, nothing's ever going to get better. So the reason that it's problematic that we didn't talk about it, specifically because a lot of the students in my class were students that would have been affected by that had we been in that time frame, is that they were kind of keeping that from us. And that shows that there's still an issue going on with bias and there's still an issue going on with these same topics. And what doesn't help with that is that um, um, in class today, we looked at this website called Chalkbeat and it showed that um, there are 28 states that are trying to restrict education on racism, bias, and the contributions of specific racial or ethnic groups to U.S. history or, like, related topics. 
Another thing to note about the map is that two states, Missouri and Louisiana, both are on both areas of the map showing that they were resisting these theories, but they were also trying to add, trying to expand their knowledge on this in the classroom. And I find that super important um, because these states are showing resistance and going against taking it out of the classroom. So let's go into the specifics of that map. There are 15 states trying to incorporate and expand education about racism, bias, and contributions of specific, specific racial and ethnic groups. 15 states. That's not a lot. That's way under half. However, on the other side, there are 28 states. Let me repeat that. 28 states trying to restrict education on racism, bias, and the contribution of specific racial or ethnic groups. That is over half. That's a problem. And if we look on the map again, um, most of the states are in the like the south of the U.S. and a lot of the states have a large population, meaning that um, a lot of our students today are missing out on the important history of um, these ethnic groups and what they've been through. And one of the things, um, one of the reasons why we learn about history is to not repeat the same mistakes. And to have these students not know about this kind of history means that mistakes like these will be made again. I think that's a good point. In my high school, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was majority white students. And the history we learned was kind of this like Americanized history where we never learned different viewpoints and multiple perspectives. For example, the Holocaust is a super important thing to learn, but it was constantly mentioned to kind of make America look better when we did not discuss what we did to other people in the past. So I think it's super important to kind of show multiple perspectives of history and not this Americanized way. Yeah, and I think if you were to ask any student in a high school in America, literally any student, ask them if they know what the Holocaust is, they 100%, I can tell you right now that they know what the Holocaust is and they know the story behind it. And they know the names of some of the concentration camps that were involved. Now, if you were to ask them if they knew about the issues surrounding Spanish-speaking students at the same time that segregation was happening with African-American students, I am not confident that even half of them would tell you that they know exactly what you're talking about and they would be able to tell you the story back. And that's kind of, it shows that, especially when we talk about topics like the Holocaust, um, it makes America look good. It makes America look good because we, America, um, as a whole, kind of were the ones, the saviors in the situation. We were an ally and we helped a lot of people in that get out of that situation. When it comes to these Spanish-speaking students who had no one to advocate for them, we didn't do anything good for them. We were the ones that were putting them in a bad position, in a bad situation, and stealing their education from them. So it doesn't make sense that America would, would put that into their schools. So it makes sense why 28 of these 
states are trying to restrict education. However, I think it's important to note that education is what makes us grow, both as individuals and as a big community. So those 15 states that are trying to incorporate and expand education on racism, biases, and contributions of specific racial and ethnic groups, those are the ones that are trying to help us grow. And I think that's really important, and it definitely should be more than 15. Building off of that, in class today we talked about how the goal was to kind of Americanize these students and communities. For example, some teachers asked students to change their name to an Americanized name, or for in the video, stolen education, they got punished if they spoke Spanish. What did you guys think about that? Um, when I um, saw that in the film that people were getting punished for speaking their native language, it really, I don't know, it was really heartbreaking to know that like um, such important part of like their culture is being like shamed on, like they're shamed for speaking their language that their family like passed down and, um, like, children of, like, higher-class Mexican parents, like, stop teaching their children Spanish because they wanted to avoid their children from being punished. Um, the parents wanted them to succeed, and then by stopping them from speaking Spanish, um, they wanted, they thought that, like, the children will prevent, like, being shamed, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think um, answering your question, Maddie, um, specifically with what you mentioned about how um, they were asked to change their names to more American-sounding names um, or more basic names, I think that that's, that goes along with what's happening now, where I know that a lot of people who have more ethnic names um, and more like native names, they get their names mispronounced all the time. It happens all the time. I see it in classrooms. I see it at work. I see it at Starbucks when they're calling their name on the cup. Um, And I think that that's something that shows that we're not really doing the best that we can to kind of change that and make it better. Um, But I think that those go hand in hand with one another. And as, you know, a white woman, I can't really relate to that. And I can't relate to how that feels to constantly have your name mispronounced, especially when it's kind of simple in your, like where it comes from and where it originated, it if it might seem simple to them and um so I think that, you know, with that being said, um that's kind of an issue as well. Going off of that, um a point earlier was brought up about parents not wanting to teach their children Spanish because they want their kids to succeed in the public schools. I find that super heartbreaking because like it was discussed in the podcast about Hawaii, there is a loss of language because of that, and there is also a loss of bilingual children. And some teachers will say that by only making their students speak English in the classroom, they were trying to get them to learn English, when in reality they weren't. And I just think it's time that we address our past in order to change the future. And going off of that, I think it's also pretty important to note um, and to mention that it's a fact that children who are raised bilingual, children who are raised learning more than one language, generally have an easier time when it comes to language. Um, It's easier for them to learn new languages. They understand more faster. Um, So I think that's important to note. Um, 
that if we kind of look at the facts there and if those schools that were resisting kind of looked at the facts there and they saw that, they might um, potentially change their minds on that just because um, they see that it does help and, and those parents who just want the best for their children and who don't want to teach them to be bilingual anymore, it's kind of a big loss for those students. Uh, for sure. Like, um, based on my experience, I speak Chinese at home and I think it like really build my character and also I found that um, as we learned in class today about the contemporary policies that are in like California and Arizona like Arizona till this day um, like banded bilingual education which I do not personally understand because from at least from when I was at like in high school or like middle school um, learning like going into like Spanish or like having the option to learn German um, was such a big deal that we had that opportunity to learn another language. But in Arizona, they're banning that. They're, they ban bilingual education for their students. So I feel like they still think that um, English is more important than the other languages. Which is interesting because there is no set language for the United States of America. It's a really common misconception that English is our national language, and it's not. So I think that what you just said about that is really important, um, because clearly people think that this this language, English um, specifically, is our national language, and it's just not, and it's just a fact that it's not. And I think that they, they don't want to believe that, and they don't want to see that, because they personally don't speak any more languages. One quote that I put down from the Code Switching podcast was from the Linguistic Society of America, and it said, the fate of a language can be changed in a single generation if it is no longer being learned by children. And that's something that I find super sad because in the 1980s, Hawaii, Hawaii only had about 50 native speakers under the age of 18. And personally, I think being bilingual, like we said, is a really um, amazing thing for this world and I find it super sad that it's going away. And it's really sad that they're trying to you know kind of strip that out of their identity. Um, students who are bilingual and people in general who are bilingual that is a really big part of just who they are as a person. Um, it's not just about how you speak um, or who you speak to when you're speaking in a different language. It's really about who you are and where you come from and where your family comes from. Um, so I think that that's really important to note. I also think it's important to note that Illinois, um, is one of those 15 states that is trying to expand education about all of these, um, topics. Um, and I'm really grateful and very lucky that I go to school in a state that is trying to expand education. Um, I'm going towards my English as a second language endorsement, um, for when I graduate. And I'm doing that specifically because I know that a lot of students are coming from speaking different languages and need help, you know, learning English, specifically because English is not our national language. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that it's a really big, again, part of their identity and who they are, which is why I want to do that in my future. One thing that I remember um, from my elementary school is I come from a town where a lot of people speak Polish. And... We had people come from, a lot of students come from Poland. And one of my teachers would go to another Polish-speaking kid and say, hey, can you translate for him? 
hey, can you sit by him all day? And that's why I'm also getting an ESL endorsement because you can't put that up to a second grade student to sit there all day and make sure that this other student is understanding the content. There should be a teacher that is prepared for that and knows how to address those situations. So I guess all of us here are taking um, an ESL endorsement because I am too. Um, I'm doing it because when I was in elementary school, like my English was not good. My parents speak broken English. So um, I was put into an ESL. I was like taken out of like the regular classroom and I would go into like an ESL classroom with like this one teacher. And um, we really created a really close bond. And what's really cool was that um, she actually taught um, both of my siblings too. So she basically knew my whole family, which I think is really funny. But also like, it just, it was just like, she made learning a lot more comfortable for all of us. And I think like all three of us here want to do that, do the same for our future students as well. Hearing your story really kind of warms my heart. Um, just hearing that you had such a good experience with that and that you didn't have to endure all of the like negative sides of um, what happened, you know, in our history as a country and our school system. Um, however, not all students had that good of an experience. Not all students are having that good of an experience. Like even right now, um, it's not different. It hasn't changed. While it has gotten a little bit better and you can argue that, it definitely isn't fixed. It's not a solved issue. Um, and we're still working towards that. But with there being so many states 28 specifically, that are trying to minimize that, um, that just creates even worse of a situation. So I think it's important to note that as well. So why do you guys think it was important that we watched Stolen Education and listened to the podcast this week? For me, a big part of that was that I never learned about it. Like, as I said before, I never got an education on this topic. Um, neither on language nor on the um, issues that students that spoke other languages had to deal with, um, which again is very odd to me just because it's happen it happened at the same time frame of something else that was big that I did learn about. Um, so I think it's important, especially, you know, for future educators to watch this movie and listen to this podcast because it taught a lot like it taught me a lot about what kind of teacher I want to be or don't want to be in the future one thing to add about the podcast was that Larry said that a lot of people in Hawaii were skeptical of him opening the school because him and his students were second language learners but I think it's really important that he did because if he didn't learn Hawaiian and this loss of language happened in Hawaii, there would be nothing to pass down to the future generation. So I really think it's great that he opened up this school, despite the skepticism. One thing that I found super sad was when Mendez came home to her mom and cried about how she never wanted to go back to the school and the mom said, what did you think we were fighting for? And I think that this is a super important thing to think about because some people would be really scared to stick up against these issues. And if this, if no one ever went to the court and stood up for this, then we would just be, it would be a repeat of a cycle. So I think it's super important that they stood up for themselves through the traumatic stuff that happened.
and it was also because of like Mendez versus Westminster Westminster's case that led to the Brown versus Board of Education yeah. case, which was very um, impactful in for our education yeah. history. So going back towards the Mendez and Westminster case, I think um, something really interesting about that case is that clearly um, Mendez, Mendez was nine years old when this happened. And so clearly she was old enough to, with assistance, fight for her education um, and what she deserved and what all students um, dealing with the same issues that she was deserved. However, I think it's interesting that she didn't realize what she was fighting for, um, because just like Maddie said, she came home one day after a little boy told her that she didn't belong in her school, and she told her mom that she never wanted to return to that school. They don't want us here. They don't want to see us here. They don't want to learn with us. I don't want to go back. So I thought that was interesting, just that, like, she fought, and she was in court for multiple days, and she didn't really realize the... um, the importance and the impact that like she had on so many people and so many people's education. One thing that I think we should talk about is lack of resources and access in classrooms. And something that I think is when you don't have enough resources and access for children to learn about the past and to see different cultures and communities, that is racism in a form. And for example, a lot of my classes, we've been talking about how there's simple things you could do by incorporating like different storybooks in the classrooms or discussing this content in a way that's easy for your students to comprehend. And I think that it's super important as future educators to address this and find ways to incorporate these resources into our future classrooms. As a future early childhood educator, um, I plan to teach like younger kids. So like a lot younger like preschool kids so at that point like I don't think most of the students will understand what we are trying to get across with like racism stuff like that but by including little things like um dolls of different races or different colors like that could show them like inclusivity so that's another example of you know a sort of resource um not necessarily in the educational sense but in the sense that it would definitely show kids, especially, you know, kids of color, um, that even though they look different, um, they're still being represented and they're still being, they're so beautiful, um, in their, in the, like the same way that everyone else is. So I definitely think that, um, that was a really good point to make. It's important that we do that because as a white woman, I've always been represented through storybooks and always been represented through American Girl dolls and stuff like that. Um, I think that it's important that we incorporate this stuff so every student feels represented and welcomed in the classroom. Okay, so moving back towards um, the conversation surrounding the Code Switch podcast and the Hawaiian language, um, I did want to point out that when I was in high school, I went on a school trip to Hawaii um, specifically a marching band trip where we marched, um, at Pearl Harbor, um, and the parade for the anniversary. Um, and something interesting was that, you know, in the hotel and the resort, um, and like all the touristy places, like they were so different than the more cultural places that we went. So, um, the stores that we went to that were, that were more cultural and more native, 
to Hawaii. Um, the names were all in, written in Hawaiian. Um, and we, we ended up going to a more touristy store. And in that store, um, kind of how like touristy stores in other states, um, more, you know, prominently English speaking states specifically. Um, I like to think of like Wisconsin Dells when I think of this um, and how they have keychains and bracelets that have names on them. Um, the names were written in English on the tag, but it was a removable tag. You would take it off once you bought the item. But on the bracelets and on the keychains, um, engraved was the names, but they were written in Hawaii, in Hawaiian. So you could tell, like, you could see what the name was in English when you bought the item, but it was in Hawaiian, and I thought that was interesting. And everyone that I knew that had their name on those bracelets were, they bought them because it was very, it was very interesting and it was very cool to see. So I think that that's important. We also ended up going to, while we were there, we went to a luau, like a real luau. Um, which was really cool um, to experience and to see the culture. And I think that, like, the fact that I didn't know, like, I thought that a luau was kind of like a fake story that was written, um, like a fable or something um, that was just kind of made up by people to make it seem interesting. Um, but it was really cool, and I, got, I learned a lot about the culture um, and the language and everything, which was really cool. I've also been to Hawaii, and I can really relate to that. My family, we've gone to Hawaii a couple times, and the first time we went, we stuck in the res- we stayed in the resort, didn't really do much to touristy stuff. But the second time we went, we went to a luau also, and something that I was still remember to this day was the different types of foods they had and the culture. For example, in the hotel when we went to a luau, it was all American food. But then when we went to this luau outside of the resort, it was Hawaiian food and the story of the Hawaiian culture. And it wasn't until me and my family went on some type of tour that took us into different areas in Hawaii. And I kind of realized the pride they have for Hawaii and the welcomeness they brought in, which is super important. And I just think it's interesting that you don't learn about that and you don't see that um, in your education um, just like we didn't learn about the language loss in Hawaii, we don't learn about the culture. And I think that's a problem. I think that we need to be more open to learning about different cultures and different places and um, ethnic groups and, and stuff like that in our when we're educating students. Um, to add on to that, I actually did not know what a luau was. So I, literally, I just Googled it and it's a Hawaiian fest featuring lively music and vibrant culture performances from Hawaii. And... That just shows what Meg was saying, how, like, um, we aren't exposed to enough um, other cultures in, like, our education system. And then what um, Maddie said about how, um, like, from her, like, hotel and then compared to, like, actual, like, events she went to, how much it, like, actually represented the culture. And I want to talk about how, like, I was raised in America and I thought that like all like the Chinese food I was eating was like pretty much authentic and like um like the chicken broccoli or like orange chickens but then when I actually went to China it made me realize how Americanized like all that food was and like there's no like broccoli chicken or orange chicken in China which was I don't know it was like it was really like eye-opening to show to like to me because it 
kind of like showed me how Americanized everything was and how like I guess whitewash everything like how whitewash I was becoming and how because like I didn't know anything about my culture my dad is a businessman and they have a bunch of um offices around the world so he goes to China a lot and he stays with this Chinese family and they came to come visit us one time and I they introduced me to all the food the authentic Chinese food and it really shocked me because my whole life I thought sweet and sour chicken or orange <laughs> chicken was this Chinese food when in reality it's this American food. My dad said every time he goes to China, like there's no orange chicken there. So as the both of you are mentioning this to me, it's the first I'm hearing of it, um, <laughs> which kind of just goes to show like we as a country kind of profit off of culture in the most negative way possible. Um, and it's definitely selfish of, you know, us as a country, I guess. Um, not that I can really, you know, take credit for that. But um, it's interesting to me that that, like, that's the first time I'm hearing of it. Just, like, that's the first time that Irina was hearing about a luau. Um, and it's just really interesting that, that our education didn't teach us any of that kind of important information. <laughs> Alright, so this has been Spoken Thoughts, our very first episode titled Language, Culture, and Learning. Again, I'm Mick. I'm Maddie. And I'm Irina, and we will see you next week.